Hello from Vail, Colorado. Hey, this is a, an interesting episode. Yes, yeah, so we are on vacation, working vacation with our dear friends. And one of them happens to be a surgeon. And we also happen to be um, at the verge, the beginning of implementing a new little branch of yoga for first responders called Yoga Shield RX. Ooh, really? Yes, we are entering into the medical professionals and bringing resilience training to medical professionals. And we are inviting our dear friend, uh, Sean Diamond, MD, to join us to talk about um, stress, resilience, burnout, the needs of medical providers as we start to enter this world. Yeah, having just had that conversation, I mean, it was fascinating. I think the overlap is profound. I don't think we are off track. I think we are absolutely exactly where we need to be when it comes to the medical professional world. I think this is a perfect coexistence between Yoga Shield, Yoga First Responders, and Yoga Shield RX. Oh, totally. And I was, as we were having the conversation, I was even thinking, wow, I could, I could see myself having started in medical professionals first like it just so happened Mm -hmm. i started with public safety but i could have gone down and to be honest i actually started with military and veterans first to be honest but as my own you know as a yoga teacher but then um launched my nonprofit for public safety but there's so much overlap that it gives me even more excitement for our you know for our new venture into medical providers um so this is going to be, I think, really eye-opening. We all, this is something everyone has in common. We all go see the doctor, you know, and this right. is a little, a little insight. Um, you know, some people may go their whole lives with not, without having an encounter with public safety or a first responder, but everyone has an encounter with a doctor. And I think this is a really cool conversation to see behind the scenes of, you know, who you're, you're going to see, to see for help. Yeah. So although different than our normal uh, show, I hope that our audience really appreciates it. We typically care towards first responders and public safety, but because you do go to the doctors, there may just be a nugget in here for you as well. Yes. So please enjoy Dr. Sean Diamond live from Vail, Colorado. Welcome to Yoga for First Responders On Air, where we break down yoga, neuroscience, resilience, and public safety in a manner that's authentic, educational, and most importantly, entertaining and lighthearted. I'm YFFR's founder, Olivia Mead. As a yoga instructor and neuroscience enthusiast, I'm passionate about supporting first responders and anyone looking to improve their overall human performance. Each week, we'll dive into a new topic and often bring on expert guests to share their insights and experiences, but we'll also keep it real and share our own stories and struggles along the way. So whether you're a first responder or seeking to master the science of mental and physical resilience, this podcast is your ultimate guide to triumph over life's challenges with unbreakable strength and unwavering fortitude. By pressing play... Your training has begun. 
Hello, I am Olivia Mead, and I am founder and CEO of Yoga for First Responders. I am joined by my co-host, the president of Yoga for First Responders, as well as the president of my life, my husband. <laughs> ha, wrong. Just but kidding. Just I am kidding. the president of Yoga for First Responders. I'll take that. Yeah. I won't take he president is- of your life. No, he's my baby daddy and the employee of my life. Just kidding. Just kidding. We're equal partners. Anywho, welcome to the on air podcast. And today we are on air with some guests. And these are our second and third guests. We've already had a first guest in second and third guests in five episodes in five episodes. So Yes. So welcome. I'd like to welcome Michelle Marmalejo Diamond and Sean Diamond, MD. Welcome. Welcome to the broadcast. Thanks. Thanks, guys. So I mean, I'm digging I'm digging the hat that's a diamond on it. Like, is that your brand? Okay. do you want to know what I found out? That's actually I mean, it's not an original but Neil Diamond, this is like a Neil Diamond hat. Mm. Really? This is what they like the what they would sell for Neil Diamond. I found it on Etsy. Oh, so it's like merch. Sent it, yeah, sent it to me on Etsy, and then I was like, oh, cool. And then someone was like, that's a Neil Diamond hat, or something. And I was like, it is. I had no idea. So, I first question: probably. what What probably. was it like growing up with the last name Diamond? It was cool. Yeah, it was no problem. I mean, it was no problem. Like, okay. Oh, I like your last name. So yeah, I mean, skiing, I was like Sean Black Diamond and climbing Ooh. Sean Black, Black Diamond, Diamond, pretty much. Okay. So here's another thing about and Sean. As a plastic uh, surgeon, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. So do you know, okay. Did we just <laughs> note here that Sean's a like rock climber? He was like on the front of a magazine. He's a plastic surgeon. Yeah. He's like... Like God, he's an yeah, artist. Yeah. He does sculpture. He's got a lot of letters. Uh, he's got a lot of letters behind his name too. MD, yeah. the Michelle is president and CEO yeah. of my life. No, just yeah, like I feel me. like I. It makes me want to not like you, but I really like you. Oh, thanks, dude. Yeah. Well, here's why I like you. I'll, I'll let me go into. First of all, I just want everyone to know we are all collectively in Vail, Colorado right now. We're next door to each other. We're next door to each other, but because of technology, we are using separate devices, but they are literally next door. I literally poured Sean some whiskey because as everyone knows, if you've listened to this podcast, we do it while drinking whiskey so that we don't take ourselves too seriously, even though we're in the health and wellness space, we're not, you know, boring, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Next. We're not being pretentious weirdos. Okay. We drink whiskey. We fall on our faces. We shit our pants. I almost shit my pants the other day. I texted Michelle immediately. I actually I didn't text you. I voice memoed you. Several major cities. I mean, really. Oh, sorry. Uh, really? So and by the way, the whiskey is Costco whiskey. So it's Costco. Why'd you have to add <laughs> us like that, Sean? Jesus. No, but he's like saying that don't. Yeah. Like, don't judge. Costco whiskey is bomb. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it actually really, we poop really our pants is. and we drink Costco whiskey is basically what he's saying. Yep. Well, I almost pooped <laughs> yeah. my pants today. 
again. Yeah. Yeah. I had to stop in the park, not (laughs) with a bathroom, but in the park. Yeah. This is, (laughs) this is a, this is a, this is a theme though, because when we first started dating, we were living in downtown Des Moines. We had a garden. Oh my God. We were, had a great routine of going to the garden every morning. And there was one morning where she just got, she just got this like stricken look on her face. Like, like she went from like being all happy, like I'm gardening to, I was like, something is seriously wrong here to having a stroke or she's like, you gotta go. I gotta ship. I gotta go right now. And like, I drove, like I was driving a fire truck, lights and sirens to, I think it ended up being Fuzzy's Tacos and like slamming the brakes in. She goes out like pinching her butt, like to walk in and yeah. she had big baggy short, big baggy shorts on. I was like, no, no underwear. I was like, I was like, that could have been a disaster. Do you drop, yeah, exactly. Do you make the bathroom or do you drop nugs on your way in? <laughs> that wouldn't have been nugs, honey. It wouldn't have. You keep saying nugs. It wouldn't have been nugs. It would have. It was like you know, diarrhea. Yeah, it was. I mean, I know die. we're going on a major like, on a side <laughs> track, but I'll tell you what. For a second, I really wanted to make an app in New York City that would go over like all accessible, readily accessible free bathrooms that you could like run. Are you kidding me? An emergency situation. Somebody did it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's done? Back then, I was on the fire department. Back then, it would have worked. Yes. Yeah. When I was on the fire department, no joke, the guys that they listened from the department that I worked with, we have the idea of making an app that you'd rate the public bathrooms. Because, like, there are certain places, like, the public bathroom is, like, a 10 out of 10. Like, it's a private stall. You can lock it. You get your own urinal toilet, like, blow dryer. I, I told mean, Michelle today. That way you know he's driving down all, the road. Well, Colorado, Ford right Park, 12 out of 10. Best one I've ever seen in my life. Wait, in, wow. in which part of Colorado? Right here. Right, right here. Betty Ford Park. Mm-hmm. Well, the one I went to in the bathroom to uh, in the park today um, – by the racket club was actually very good too. You know, I graduated from a theater school in Manhattan called circle in the square theater school. It was a two year conservatory. So there's really not much they can offer you. You don't get like a diploma or anything, but what they did say is you always have access to our bathrooms. So as an alumni, you can always come downstairs and I have used it. And Eric, when I took you, I used that card. I went to the box office because my school is in the basement of a Broadway theater. And so I went to the box office. I was like, hi, I'm a graduate 2002. I need to use the bathroom. Yeah. And they let me. Did you miss out on the YFFR bridge course? There's still a chance to join the front line of wellness. Dive into Yoga for First Responders Instructor School, April 8th to 12th in Washington, D.C., This isn't just training, it's a transformation. Equip yourself to empower our first responders with resilience and strength. Why is this for you? You'll learn job-specific and culturally informed yoga from the best. Connect with a community dedicated to making a difference and master a program that blends physical readiness with mental resilience. Act fast. Seats are limited and they're going quick. Be the change. Embrace this life-changing journey and help bring wellness to our first responders. Your time is now. Visit yogaforfirstresponders.org to secure your spot. Let's make a difference together. So worth it. 
Um, Michelle exited stage right because our okay. baby let out a cry, but I'm sure she'll be back shortly. Well, that's another thing, everyone, is that we both have babies, children. They have three. We have one um, sleeping. So the timing of this is very, you know, we're threading a needle here. Mm-hmm. And tell her she can bring um, baby Monse if she would like. Okay. You know. But um, so, Sean, so let me start. What does... Uh... What does F-A-C-S stand for behind your name? So that stands for um, Fellow of the American College of Surgeons. So when you see a surgeon in general um, who has those initials following their name, they've um, certified through whatever board specialty they are, be it general surgery, plastic surgery, orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, et cetera. And then they've gone the extra step to, um, to apply with the American college to become a fellow and you're accepted, um, after review. So it's kind of like a prestige situation, but the college is a really cool organization that we utilize as surgeons. That's cool. That's like, I mean, extra steps, extra steps. Always extra steps. It's just extra. If so there's anything you... I can say about Sean, it's that he is extra. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you how do you get reviewed? Like, do you do a surgery and then like take? I mean, honestly, I have no idea. I'm super naive in this, and I have no idea. They're like, yeah. So each process is kind of um, different. And for example, the college's process, we submitted a list of operations over several years. We had to be in practice for X number of years. We have to be board certified. We go through an interview process with several senior surgeons in our community, and they're judging us based on um, our professionalism, our ethics, the type of practice we're running, um, to make sure that we hold up to the standards of the college. And I'd say that's typical of any of the surgical organizations, but also just having hospital privileges as a surgeon, or in my part, I am an academic surgeon. I'm hired by a university. And so I go through that process also with my own university and with credentialing. And it's um, at every level, there's there's this sort of um, review of yourself, your performance, your professionalism, your ethics, and that kind of stuff. Is at any point, is there any evaluation on the realistic feel of the breasts? The realistic feel of the <laughs> Is there an evaluation? No, I mean, I do. Um, or do the, do the, uh, do the adjudicators go like this? Oh. So in the plastic (laughs) surgery examination or like my final exam to be board certified in plastic surgery, they review my own cases. What people don't really typically realize is like what you would think of as plastic surgery is Dr. 90210, facelifts, nose jobs, breast implants, (laughs) Brazilian butt lifts, fat grafting, liposuction, all that kind of stuff. It's actually a huge field. I do 90% plus reconstructive work. So surgery that involves taking care of people after um, oncologic operations, meaning after removing tumors from either breast or pelvis or other parts of the body. 
um, and also traumas. And I, my like specific specialty is in hand surgery. So, um, it's and like weird. pediatrics too, right? And that's my like passion is working with kids. So I do kids and hands. Yeah. Man, Sean, Man, I tried to make a funny a, joke and you just shut me down with like reality. You were like, ha ha ha. I do pediatric trauma, bitch. Like such slow yeah. your roll. Honestly, like, like I'm going to give a shout out to your, to your Instagram. Cause I've seen some of the, the before and afters of your surgeries, man. And it's, I'll be honest, it's fucking incredible. Like Eric, having been on the other you... side of the, uh, the other side of the line is like taking the trauma up, picking them up, dealing with it out on the street, yeah. and dropping off of the hospital. That's the that's the lens I come through come from. And so to be able to see like the aftermath, for lack of a better term, like what you can do, like when the trauma gets dropped off or yeah. dealt with, and how that and how it looks um... at the end, it's like holy hell! Like I'm impressed, dude. That's what's so interesting. I think about what I do. It's kind of like a chess game where a good chess player can basically play five to 10 moves ahead. And when I see a patient come into the trauma bay and they have a mutilating injury to an extremity, um, I can look at it and I already know like X number of operations are going to be required. And these are the steps that will be taken. And then eventually their function will essentially be you know, X, Y, or Z. So, um, having a vision, but I definitely <clears throat> interact with people who'd, who'd like scoop someone up off the truck, like a EMS or fire. And they see these just absolute, literally like war, like injuries to arms and legs and faces, pick them up. And they're, and I can imagine if they weren't there for the whole process, it's hard to, visualize what that person will become in the future. Um, and that's not to say it doesn't take a lot of work. There's some patients who um, require interventions over years worth of time periods. Um, and that's just from like one quick accident. Like all it takes is an ATV rolling over your hand and you're in for three to five years worth of operations to eventually regain the appearance and the function that you desire. So if it's possible. You know, what I what I was gonna say was while I was delivering the whiskey before this to their room, um, Sean showed me his newest reel. So for everyone that's listening, if you want to follow Sean's Instagram and see these like really heartwarming and amazing miraculous transformations, at least from the layman's eye. What's your Instagram? Uh, Dr. Diamond Plastic Surgery. Like DR Diamond? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And we'll, we'll tag it here in the, on our show notes too, but he just showed me his newest reel, which like, Ooh, you know, and he puts that music with it that really got my heart like ouchy wouchy. Um, but you know, so this actually is a great transition, exactly what you guys are talking about. So, um, I'm skipping ahead a little bit because I did want to actually talk about how we all knew each other. But the reason it was important for us to have you guys on is in October, we are doing our first instructor school for Dartmouth Hitchcock for their specifically, is it, it's Eric, is it for the medical simulation lab people or is it, tell me, oh, tell, so, of course, tell yeah. me more about it. Cause he's been leading this, this campaign basically. 
Yeah, so we're going up to Dartmouth Hitchcock Medical Center. Um, they've actually sent a, a small contingent through our trainer trainer program, our instructor school, uh, to help us start to transition yoga for first responders into the medical professionals world. Uh, we're starting, uh, we're doing an in-person instructor school there on site so we can train 20 or so of their personnel on that campus. Uh, initially, we want to work with some of the flight medics uh, because we want to do some studies on a small control group. Uh, but long term, the goal is actually to roll a program, uh, our program out to all 13,000 uh, of their medical staff on that campus. So the goal is medical campus wide is the is the is the lift that we're looking for. So we, uh, yeah, so we started with, you know, obviously first responders, it's yoga for first responders. It started to move into the military population because it kind of seamlessly, the concept seamlessly transitioned. And now when we had by chance, a couple medical providers at our instructor school, one of actually one person was a paramedic at the department where Eric worked. And now he works in the medical simulation um, uh, what do I call it? Medical simulation education. Yeah, he works. Okay. Yeah, he oversees the simulate. He oversees their sim lab at Dartmouth Hitchcock. Sim lab. So yeah. Sim lab for those are intended to know is the training facility within a medical center. So people can run, uh, scenarios, uh, and it's so realistic. Basic, it's basic nuts, call like the all the way up through mass trauma, mass casualty type <laughs> incidents within a controlled environment. And so as and so he came to our instructor school, so they started to see the parallels too. And as you can see, so when I started yoga for first responders, this was 10 years ago. I went through a fire academy, a police academy. I did, you know, overnight uh, ride-alongs. I dove into the culture and the life to learn as much as I could. And as you can tell already, I'm not familiar with the culture of, you know, the medical profession. And so now we're being asked to do what we do into the medical field. And so, um, you know, so it's, it's interesting because I'm the head of this organization, but I'm really leaving it to other people who are our instructors and who are medical professionals to bring in that job specific application that I don't know about. But um, so, yeah, so we're launching into that area and we're calling it under our umbrella because our full IRS name is Yoga Shield Yoga for First Responders. We have both names in, in our title. So it's going to be called Yoga Shield RX. How, what do you think of that name, Sean? I think it's awesome. I mean, I think you all have a tremendous experience with the first responder population and their specific needs in managing very acutely traumatic events mm -hmm. or managing really high stress, um, high intensity, short time interval events mm -hmm. when they're responding to calls, et cetera. So Some that's of the, the thing. It's like, I think, yeah, I think you'll see in physicians, if you work with physicians or in medicine, is it's almost the equivalent of a slow, I'd call it a slow mass casualty. In the writings, we call it moral injury. Previously, people would say it's burnout. 
it's this slow dehumanizing process of physicians or nurses or advanced practice providers um, who practice high volume clinical medicine or the majority of their job is in clinical medicine, meaning treating patients either in clinic or hospital settings. Um, and they develop really intense and severe burnout and moral injury based on the um, change in our job environment, the change in the demands of our job, the change in hospital administrations, et cetera. And you'll find, you'll, you'll start getting a sense of all of this and feeling all of this and then adjusting yoga shields treatment, meaning RX to their specific needs, which I think there's a huge um, need for it. Mm -hmm. And there's no great therapeutic for burnout and moral injury right now. And to have a program like what you've developed and potentially be able to adapt it to um, manage it would be really important and really um, beneficial to a number of people. So I'm excited to see what happens at Dartmouth and and for y'all to be collaborating more and more with um, medical professionals. Yeah, well, you, you just touched on summarized everything I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you touched on something interesting there too, because uh, one of the key pieces of research that we pull from from a clinical psychologist in the public safety world is she actually shows research actually shows that our bodies, minds, and nervous systems actually do a pretty good job putting themselves together after the big, bad, and ugly trauma, but it does a terrible job of putting itself back together after the constant drip of one, three, five, 10, 15, 30 years on the job. And I, we talk about this constantly because there are critical incident stress management teams, there's peer support, things like that for those big, bad, and ugly calls. But there's nothing for that constant chipping away, uh, creating those moral injuries. And so I think that overlap from what you just described is 100% overlap, actually. It's not it's not even like close to, but it's exactly spot on of, of a similar issue. Yeah. I mean, I'm not hyper well studied in it. I don't mean to call out my own institution, but I mean, the, the, um, the emphasis on wellness, the emphasis on retainment of employees, the emphasis on happiness, um, it's really not there. Um, I am judged, we are judged by our productivity. It mm. sort of feels like mm. the matrix, like we are plugged in and whoever creates the most, produces the most, the most clinical work, the most research work, the most grant funding, the most community funding is the most successful and engaging. Um, it's very separate from wellness and health and happiness and um I think if you could like look at two polar opposite industries, it would kind of be like the tech world and the medicine world. I mean, the tech world who mm. gives dry cleaning, free meals, like shuttle buses, right. to work, you know, it's sort of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Very much the opposite in healthcare. It's like you park 
way out there. You don't have time to send mail because you're going to work when all the stores are open and you can't do your own dry cleaning because you can't drop it off or pick it up because you'll be working. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. yeah. Uh, it's very, Gosh, uh, why do you, why do you think that is? Cause like what I, what we find in public safety too, is that, there's a lot of head nods of like, oh my gosh, yes, wellness, so important. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. And then we go to implement it and maybe it's lack of resources. At the end of the day, it's like, I don't really think they do care. Because if, if you burn out, great, go on to the next, bring in the next person. I mean, I don't mean to sound harsh, but it's like, we we get all these head nods of head nods of like we care we care we want to do this we go to do it and there's no time there's no money we don't get the email back from someone we don't get a call back from someone someone goes why why do you think this is and then google's got it figured out is it resources i think, I think what um Part of what maybe hospital administrators medicine doesn't realize is that to replace people, it's so much more expensive than to retain people. I mean, mm-hmm. like wins above replacement war is a concept in business. And, um, and um, I think every time over for the most part, retaining professionals in healthcare would be the goal because hiring new ones is far too costly And the time it takes for them to ramp up to the same effectiveness is too long. And so there really should be an emphasis on keeping people and keeping people happy in their job. And I, I really do believe that physicians like myself become more effective if they are valued um, and if they feel that they are valued and if they have, um, structure to um yeah to feel better (laughs) do you think there's a place in um in your education when you were becoming a doctor is there a place for the kind of training that we provide so you know you do all of your classes you do your clinical work all this stuff and then is there room for like, okay, guys, here are some techniques to regulate your nervous system, to come back to baseline, to transition from work to home? Um, do you see that being able to be plugged in in 100%. education? I mean, I think there's a lot of data in medical education showing that the transition of medical students from the second to the third year, which means the transition of medical students from like kind of textbook study to entering the real world. Mm-hmm. And for many medical students, it's the first time they've ever entered the real world in their life, meaning many medical students may not have necessarily worked at like McDonald's or been a server or worked at a bar, worked in business, et cetera, before their third year of medical school, where they really enter into the real world. And they show a huge rise in depression and burnout immediately in medical school. So to halt that progression, to give tools, to stop um, what happens in the real world and in, in, in medical practice at the beginning, meaning in medical school, mm-hmm. 
before the third year of medical school and many traditional MD programs would be really helpful. So let's, let's say for a second that we are, we are coming in to help, right. And you, you get word of this. Okay. This organization that we have, we've have research now we have evidence we've gone through research studies that has shown a significant um, preventative measure that our specific protocol has against post-traumatic stress so this is now data right this isn't just woo-woo yoga we have the data and we are coming in to your hospital what is one thing, like one sentence you could say like, oh, great, I need these. I would love to see this. I need these people to help me with this. Like what is one thing you would love to see support from us in? Um, I would personally benefit from um, being able to A, recognize that I'm experiencing burnout and then, and then Mm. be able to manage it. I mean, Mm -hmm. a tool within myself to be like, you know, it's not (laughs) burnout is like a really tough thing. It's like Mm -hmm. very, you know, it sort of runs in your blood. It just kind of gets in you. And, um, to be able to have a, burnout meter that you can check on yourself or a tool Mm -hmm. system to be like, Oh yeah, I think I am like pretty burnt out. Like shit. Like like, I usually would have cared a lot more about that. I would have had a lot more energy in this situation. I would have been a lot happier at home or like, you know, you, so like, I think a burnout meter and then Mm -hmm. a method to manage it. Because you first have to be able to just recognize it in yourself and be like, oh, I have a problem right now, you know, because it ebbs and flows. It's sort of like it comes and goes, it changes, it's very dynamic. And and like I said, it's very ephemeral or sort of very, you can't put a finger right on it. So, but a tool to be like, oh, right now, I think I actually am pretty burnt out. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's so burnout, moral injury, the subthreshold PTSD, they're all in very insidious. Like you don't even realize that it's creeping in until it's almost too late. Yeah. And this is what uh a psychologist, uh Dr. Otavi mentioned too from the Iowa National Guard, is is that to be able to give people in military public safety and now medical professionals a tool to realize when they're starting to move off center like just to let to give them that tool of awareness of personal awareness that's right because we're in the, the day-to-day activities and we have to let's be honest we have to put emotion on the shelf at some point uh for the jobs that we do otherwise we'll be able to deal with the jobs that we have to do but to be able to then finish that and have that tool to be like to be able to check in to go into an introspective vote spot it doesn't have to be an hour long practice but a couple of minutes be like yeah i am self-aware enough now because i have this tool to look at my mind body nervous system to realize that i am not as happy as at home i'm maybe i have started to drink at 10 a.m instead of noon like <laughs> that sounds silly but it's true you see it happen all the time uh, 100 percent 
and as you'll uh, find right. out, so substance start- abuse is a huge mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. Suicide is a huge issue mm-hmm. amongst physicians. Right. And so to, but yet we're not aware because it becomes so culturally normative uh, that then we start to compare ourselves to others within our industry. We're like, oh, I'm not as bad as that guy. Uh, and I had a friend actually just realized this. He told me this literally yesterday. He's like, when a bunch of guys that are drinking at 10 a.m. tell you that you have a problem, there's <laughs> probably a real problem. There's probably a real problem at play, you know? Uh, but we lack that self-awareness because we've literally learned to shut everything off, shut it down, dissociate from it. Like, I just, this is just normal. This is how I cope with it. This is how I deal with it. Rather than actually taking the moment uh, to check with ourselves. And so I think that's actually a critical piece to the storyline as we move forward is that we're providing folks the tool to realize when you're starting to move off center. We see it in yeah. other people, but we don't see it in ourselves. Yeah. And the, the more I know as a someone who's practiced yoga for a long time, that when I don't have my consistent oh. practice of self-awareness, it becomes very obvious to me. I have very obvious signals that I have not done my own practice. Yoga is a practice of awareness. This is what we always talk about. It's not a practice of flexibility. It's not a practice of strength, abs, cute yoga pants. It's a practice of being aware of oneself on every level. Physical, yes, but also emotional, neurological, noticing everything that's happening. And so that is, right, the the more that you practice, the more that you can kind of sense when you are off center. Um, but the, to get there, to, to have that noticing, you know, that awareness, you have to have the consistent practice first. So what we're trying to do with yoga for first responders, our military programs, and now yoga shield RX is here is your consistency. So speaking of RX, speaking of as prescribed, if someone's taking a medication and then they don't take it for a few days. They can probably feel a diff- something happening, something changing, right? So if, if we prescribe before you start work, here's what you do. As you transition home, here's what you do. We're talking, Sean, three to five minutes max. You know, that's, all, that's how, as long as it takes to actually make a change in your nervous system. We have the biofeedback to show that. And then if you do skip days on that, or if something's off, you can notice it because you have this consistency of actually being able to push buttons on your own nervous system and to, you know, to have some autonomic fitness. And that's how you can notice when things are off. Um, Some of the things that we're starting to implement with different partners for first responders is in their CAD software. So what's in their you know, patrol cars that shows our different calls that come up. If there's a specific incident that they just encountered, they can't put in for the next call until they have done three minutes of our breath work. And this is mandatory. I mean, obviously they can sit there like this while the breath work video shows, you know, with our crossed arms, but we're trying to really plug it in. Cause right now, and I don't know if this is what you've experienced too with the any kind of wellness that's been introduced to the medical field is kind of suggested optional, maybe a pamphlet, like, you know, like, right. 
it has to be plugged in as mandatory. You know, you were talking just now about um, the board of, say it again, the the academy. (laughs) No, the the academy of college of surgeons. Right. American College of Surgeons. Or the, or the Academy. We're going to go call it for the Academy from now on. A the Academy, Academy of Academy Surgeons. Awards, folks. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> what's that Academy music? I'm giving one to Sean. Um, but, you know, there are all these um, measures. There are all these, you know, things that you have to prove of yourself. You have to hit, you have to study. Isn't it interesting, though, that there's nothing that you have to prove that you have got the neurological and mental capacity to withstand this career. I mean, Correct. fuck man. And you think about All this. All I have to say is I didn't commit a felony. I haven't, what is it? I haven't committed a felony. I don't have anything like I'm not under treatment that would, you know, mess up my job, et cetera. Right. Um, well, let's, well, we'll think about this for a second. Like as someone as a patient, right? And I've had several surgeries in my life, okay? Um, But so as a patient, we are awake the night before our surgery and we're thinking, or at least I'm thinking about the doctor. Oh, please. I hope that doctor did not get in a fight with his spouse tonight. Oh, please. I hope that doctor is getting lots of sleep tonight. I mean, I'm really thinking about the doctor that is that we're going into this experience together. You know, this he or she is a person. They've got personal things going on, just like everybody else. And now they're going to do something that is very, you know, deeply personal to me. Um, and uh I don't know. So it, when, when you think about that and then I don't even know what the point I was getting to here, but like, you know, mental, mental uh, well, stability and well, well, yeah, it's like, gosh, so, so don't you think that that needs to be a, um, I, I guess the reason I kind of lost my train of thought is because I do get emotional thinking about it because of the amount of surgeries that I've had I mean, for I different think things. In general, medical schools are trying to hire more holistic students. I think in general, okay. a greater emphasis on bedside manner. I think mm-hmm. there's much greater emphasis on patient reviews and the challenges it just mutates into such ridiculous places where like press gainy and surveys go out and hospital administrators um, adjust people's salaries or operative times or allotments because of their press gainy scores on scores given to patients who may not have gotten their morphine on time, but shouldn't have had it in the first place. And, you know, it's just, it gets to a whole other level and that's, that's part of the moral injury and burnout. Yeah. Part of it. Yeah. But I think in general, we always are now looking to have more humanistic physicians, ones that truly do number one care. Right. Realize that um, I go into work every single day. Every, most every patient I see, it is their worst day of their life. Right. right. Every right. single day, every person I meet and I see, it is their worst day of their life, or 
it is their most concerning day of their life because they don't get surgery every five minutes, you know? So, and for me, it's like, I wake up another day in the and it's another it's day Tuesday. and I'm going to go home yeah. to my family and my people, et cetera. Right. Um, right. My question is, we're talking about this tool to um, utilize yoga, utilize awareness in the workplace. I have to tell you the hospital for physicians is like totally the antithesis of a yoga studio or of a place where you would consider doing any amount of meditation. It's like my workspace, my workplace is totally chaotic, you know, neon lights, computers everywhere with the screen in front of you just to produce like records and things and then yeah so it's like how how do we how do you do that well two things with this this one is this is exactly it yeah i want to get i want to drill into this so what i was going to say before is when i think when i'm thinking about the physician and doctor who's going to do the surgery or whatever this is why i'm like why wouldn't we you know really make the doctor's wellness and resilience a priority if they're just a fallible human doing this work like fuck man like you know this is the same thing my argument with first responders they're put on a pedestal they're put as superheroes they're put as you know they're not they're humans with normal nervous systems and normal brains that get injured like everybody else's and if they're going to be doing some really intense work on someone's body don't you think we should definitely make sure their resilience and brain and nervous system is top notch? Just blows my mind. I mean, that's I mean, what all of my program directors would have said. Cause I trained for nine years in surgery for about a hundred to 120 hours. Well, oh, sure. Right. And right. Honestly, yeah. I'm going to break in here because you know, what's the one thing that they say we all need the most of to the, be mentally sharp, to be, you know, to quick thinking, um, you know, Sleep, rest, and it's like just kidding. That they don't really though. That's the thing. They're just saying it. Yeah, they don't really. I mean, we know, like as parents now, like when you first become a new parent, holy crap! But yeah, I mean, it's hard. And then here, these doctors are staying up all night long on call. I know, home sleeping two hours and then waking up to go do some major surgery. And I'm like, I don't want that. I wouldn't want, like, if some of those patients knew how much sleep that doctor just had got, if any, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. When I'm like, not at night, I'm like, on you. but no, the old and, school yeah. is, is the train surgeons, like how Navy SEALs are trained mm-hmm. and Navy okay, SEALs so, are now in the New York times yes. for doing steroids and for dying of pulmonary edema during their drown, their forced drownings at Camp Pendleton, which were not as physicians and physicians were mandated to have an 80 hour work week, which is consistently broken and not followed. It doesn't <laughs> happen ever all like no. what 80 hours. That seems ter- that's, Oh my God. I can't even, well, but here's the thing. Here's why I just want to reiterate this point of how us as yoga for first responders is seamlessly transitioning, transitioning into this medical field is not Mm -hmm. only symbolically, as you both mentioned, the first responders 
pick people up, you know, keep them stable, get them to the hospital, and then the physicians take over. And there's a couple traumas that are happening here. And one is the first responder does not know how things turn out, and that can stay with them. And then the physician does know how things turn out, and it's not always great, and that stays with them. Right. And just like you said, the, the medical training um, is like Navy SEAL training. I mean, it's intense. And, and the reason I know this, too, you know, as an adjunct viewer is because Michelle's my best friend. Your wife is my best friend. And I have seen it through through her eyes. And I've seen all this happen, you know, and I've I've visited you guys when you were a resident and you were in an apartment and I've, and the long hours you're working and I've seen all this shit happen. You know, it's intense, intense you're training. All my, you're on the other end of all my texts. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but also I, I come to go ahead, Eric. I was going to say, well, to go back to one of the key points that Sean brought up as far as like the hospital is the antithesis of a yoga studio. Like mm-hmm. we can't stop. We cannot miss this point because this is actually what makes yoga for first responders and Yoga Shield RX different than any other yoga program, arguably in the world, period, bar none, full stop. Even our competitors that are out there. Quote unquote competitors. Uh, is you, don't, you don't need... You don't need the yoga studio. You don't need the quiet space. You don't need the Zen-like experience. In fact, what we do is not just down regulation, but to perform optimally when things are the worst. And so there's a lot of research out there that shows that if I can control your HRV through proper mindset and breath work, you're going to make better decisions in that high-intensity surgery where you have to make the right choice. You have to. We had to make the right choices in the fire service. Navy SEALs have to make the right choices. The consequences are catastrophic if we don't. But we can actually show through proper training techniques that do become second nature if you train them, just like you train all of your, listen, I'm not a surgeon, but y'all have basic skills. At the end of the day, you have basic skills, just like we have basic skills. There are some, some techniques that you use over and over and over and over and over again. And so it's a foundational training, like those basic skills that we need to start training in medical school and arguably before and during your career to make sure that you're performing those techniques at the highest ability. And we can do that through breath technique and mindset training. I mean, that is well-documented in the literature. I don't care how bright the lights are. Uh, I want, in fact, I want the situation to be the hardest situation you're in so that you can do exactly what you're meant to do and perform optimally in that moment, regardless of how much that you've got. The outside circumstances, yes, don't matter. So in fact, when we teach YFR classes, we don't dim lights. We don't put up signs that say quiet, please, yoga in process. We don't do any of that shit because you should not have to depend on external circumstances for regulating your own nervous system. A good example of this is when I taught at Des Moines Police Academy, we did yoga in the firing range, in the gun range, because it was the biggest open space. And they had like the top of a police car, you know, the red and blue lights. They had that upside down at the in the ceiling of the range. And when they would do firearms training, they would have the red and blue lights going, after, you know, after they trained the basics. And that's because are you going to actually be using your firearm in a perfectly lit space, perfect stance? No, you're going to be taking cover behind a car 
and you're going to have the red and blue lights are definitely going to be on if you are doing a felony stop or whatever. Right. So then I was like, well, then why aren't we doing yoga with the lights on? Because what we're training is how to manage your breath, how to manage your own system while there is a shit storm around you. And same thing with what you're saying, the lights, the computers, everything, the external stuff can be happening around you. And we need to teach techniques to still manage what's happening within. So that's, that's exactly our, you know, the, the challenge, like you mentioned, and exactly what we want to grab that challenge and make it an asset for what we're doing. And so here are my questions for you too, is like, first, my first question is, what do you think our biggest challenge is going to be walking into this medical center? And the second is let's think outside the box with yoga, because when Michelle was getting her yoga certification, you and I took one of her practice classes together. I don't know if you remember. I do. Um, it was at, what was it? Hot eight yoga. Hot eight, yeah. Yeah. Right. So clearly you're looking, you're, I'm, I'm imagining you're thinking of yoga as the studio space and da, 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 da. Okay. Think outside the box for a second. Think inside the hospital setting. Where could someone, where could we implement this? So one, what's our biggest challenge Two, what's the easiest way to implement this um, without having to create this, you know, Zen environment. Um, I think your number one challenge, although part of it is already completed, is is buy-in. Um, right. Again, let's not talk about Dartmouth-Hitchcock. Let's talk about you guys getting into like every single medical center in the United States. Right. It's literally time. There's not 30 extra minutes in a day built in for this type of instruction. Um, the medical institution is so rigid at this point that there's just not time even carved out for wellness platforms like this, meaning there's not like an hour a week, even dedicated to wellness that you guys could plug into. Right. So buy-in is a major issue and buy-in, I think will have to come top down from hospital administrators and university deans down or medical education deans down. Um, as far as space goes, I think if you want to teach in the worst of the worst spaces, they're, they're not hard to find <laughs> anywhere in a hospital. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I can think of many um if the emergency room was willing to give you a trauma bay for 30 minutes that would be a pretty easy one um which are typically not you know overwhelmingly used during like you know random daylight hours for the most part unless a mass casualty cruises through but but yeah i think i think buy-in is going to be a challenge Mm -hmm. yeah i'm curious about this because i've heard anecdotally from other folks, 2020 really seemed, and by 2020, I mean COVID, like, let's be honest, COVID seemingly broke the healthcare system. I mean, it's at least pushed it to the extreme brink. Like, 
at least that's what the the headlines would have you to believe and listening to at least nurses and the friends that are nurses that's the, their reality and their experience and a lot of them are no longer in the job uh after covid 2020-2021 do you think there's more of an opportunity now than previously i mean you've been in the healthcare world through all of your schooling and everything else for oh, 10 years or better long before covid so i'm curious if you think there's more of an opportunity now because of the spotlight that put on the system um yeah realistically and it's okay be, be honest this, we're drinking whiskey so no, i mean my from my your lens honest, from your lens deal is that um covid was a major disruption it was a disruptor to many parts of life and industry from housing to everything so it was a major disruptor the hospital's and systems that could adapt, um, could adapt. Um, our hospital system had challenges as everywhere did in um, equipment and supplies. Now that we're a year, couple of years past, you know, the COVID part of it, we had to ramp through a tremendous amount of care that was delayed because of COVID. We had right. to rein in a tremendous amount of money lost we had to manage a lot of other issues. Like I don't mean to offend many of the traveling nurses in this crew and your crew, but they, they just raked the system and now you have to rein that in. And, and now, now the issue is hospitals are still losing money. Volume is at like 150%. Staffing has huge challenges from New York City to El Paso, Texas, every single place, every clinic and OR is short on medical assistance and surgical techs and people. And so you're running a system at this moment that is running at 150 to 200% of capacity with less people losing money. So it's, um, it's a pretty intense place right now. Well, so this is and this is kind of my point earlier is that we all know wellness is important blah 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 but in the hierarchy of needs right now it's not top priority. You just mentioned all these things that's taking everyone else's you know everyone's attention and it's like okay wellness well I hope the doctor I hope the nurse takes a fucking walk today. I don't know what to say. I mean that's what we're up against, right? there are all these other issues that it, it's almost like, okay, when everything is working seamlessly, then we can focus on wellness. Now, unfortunately, what we all know is that if we don't focus on wellness, then you have the, you know, the, the transitions of, you know, trying to hire new people and, and all this other stuff that comes with it. But what we're fighting now too is the resources. I mean, we've, we were funded for a program and we called a fire department. We were like, we are funded for a program for you. The money's not a thing anymore. Just, just let us in, open the door. And they were like, we literally don't have the time, the resources, the people to take 45 minutes I think that's what you're going to find in healthcare right now in 2023. Mm. That's going to be your challenge. Mm. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I, and and I appreciate the honest conversation because 
it's uh, once again the overlap is not on. I mean, it, we may be just crazy enough to run into a headwinds and hopefully succeed. Uh, but I know that Olivia, and I know that myself, and I know the others on our team are just crazy enough. Oh my God. Well, the past hell, 10 hell years of, of my life have been, have been running up well, uphill into a headwind. Your product has data and your product works and your product also doesn't demand a tremendous amount of um, time resources once it's implemented. And in those ways that hopefully you can break down the doors of healthcare administrators because we know there's some major issues and you have um, a working solution to some of those. I'd hope that, um, yeah, I'm excited to see what happens at Dartmouth. I think this is just going to, life is learning and this is just a learning deal and it's just learning and growing. Eventually y'all will be in healthcare. I'm not worried about that. Well, that makes us feel better too. We know it's a, a huge, you know, uphill battle, but that's what we've, that's what we're all about. <laughs> it's, it's the uphill well, battle. And it separates us, yeah. And it separates us from the rest again, because once the work gets hard, most of the people filter out. Uh, exactly. But you had really good questions for Michelle. You had good questions on your. Oh yeah. You know what? Let me do what, let me do a, a, a quick um, rapid fire here. Cause I did have a list of questions I sent you ahead of time. Um, but what I think we're seeing here is that our protocol and why we do it for first responders is completely applicable to the medical profession. So we're on the right route. I'm guessing I'm saying, you know, Dartmouth Hitchcock plans to do some research and collect data and do a research study on the protocol too, which I hope makes a difference as well. I'm also noting there is a lot of, there are a lot of hurdles in our way, but if we can navigate those and just keep, you know, being consistent about it and keep going and um, tenacity is what's coming to mind, you know? that um, we can make, we can make a dent in there. Well, cause what we want to do, Sean is, and we've noted this in first responders, they've said it, and I've noted it in myself is if you train enough, things are automatic, right? That's why you put in all your training and surgery that you do have those two hours of sleep. You just know exactly what to do. Same thing with breath work with biofeedback. We have seen that someone can change their heart rate variability, which is what determines high performance in a minute, in a minute. So if you have that automatically, as soon as you go into surgery, no matter what just happened outside that door, you maybe go into your breath work, you go into whatever it is that you can enhance your performance. And that's sort of what I'm gathering from this. And so the missing piece that we have the folks from Dartmouth Hitchcock to help us with, and as a personal friend, I hope that you will also help me with is get the, the job specificity and the cultural competency part. That's the part we're lacking because I put in years of my life to be culturally competent for public safety. And as a 41-year-old woman with a baby, I just do not have the time anymore. <laughs> so I need help. I need help to make sure we're speaking the right language. Okay. Here's some rapid fire questions I had. 
on percentage wise, how much of your job would you say is a men- mental and emotional? Mm. Mm. He's looking at his wife right now. For anyone who's listening on the podcast, he is looking at his wife. It's funny because he is a very sensitive person. And I feel like any patient that gets him is really lucky for that very reason, because he's the doctor that goes home and can't sleep because he can't stop thinking Uh about what might've, you know, what could go wrong, what did go wrong, how he can fix Mm. it, what this, you know, literally researching everything he can before he'll go into like a complicated surgery, just to make sure he knows every possibility, anything that could happen. But, you know, it's like, he's that doctor. And so Mm. I feel like there's a bigger emotional part that they, they don't see. Cause it's like behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you know, that like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's probably more than people might think, but I mean, so it's emotional and what skill is that what mental and emotional, mental like that emotional. kind of hardship. Well, first of all, I don't think there's anything in my life. I have as much commitment to as you do towards towards your patients like I'm just like whoa really like yeah. shit it's 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 a lot like he and I have to tell him sometimes I'm like you have to like you gotta let it go you gotta let it go and he'll and I can tell when something happened or well there's a lot of time where I put patients before you all yeah so. well that's what I'm saying that's when I have to tell you like hey can you be here you need to be here with right. us right now. like so he's there, but I can tell he's not at all. Well, and I, in the very, like I said, like being so close to your family in a very small way, I've, I've seen it. Like when I've come to visit and we're all home together, I look over and at Sean's computer and there is an opened person's body part on the computer. I'm like, um, we're ordering Thai food, Sean. Like, what do you want? (laughs) The kids are like, daddy, what is that? It's like, yeah. Okay. So what we're saying is a lot. It's a lot more high percentage. I mean, obviously mental for sure, but like more emotional than you would think than one might think anyway. And that doesn't happen. That's not for every doctor. Okay. You know, I'm gonna um, jump and I'm I'm gonna jump the gun on Olivia yeah. and because this kind of ties into it and not to go into couples therapy, but because of what you just brought up, what have you have you seen changes in Sean near during your relationship the deeper he gets into this career? A ton. Yeah, and, I was gonna say it can be a one it can be a it can be a one word answer. Like I said, this isn't couples therapy, a ton. Right, but a ton. Just I met Sean when he was yeah. twenty six. He's 40. Yeah. Well, that, that comes with life experience as well, right? Sure. Uh, sure. But, but and, I mean, because it's one of the things that we deal with from the public safety world, again, and we're, tr- we're really working here to show that there's great overlap from public safety to the medical professional world, is that the, the divorce rates in public safety are much higher than the general population. I would, one would argue, I can only sense that this that is similar in the in medical, the medical world. You know, uh, you're right. And, you're totally and, right. And a lot, and a, 
And a lot of it comes down to what you just said. And that's why I jumped the gun a little bit is because it's hard to be present here now when you're thinking about whatever happened previously, like whatever it was. Or uh, what's about to happen. To what, what, correct. Or what's what am I walking into tomorrow? Yeah. And so it's hard to be present here, which does take a toll on its family, uh, on one's family. And so that's why I just, you were t- kind of teasing into it. And we had that question written out. So that wasn't a surprise question. Yeah. Uh, but but I was just curious if if we were if we're tracking on a similar trajectory. Yeah. And I mean def I mean it's always you know it's been like any marriage it's a rocky road but you there's so many added elements which I think was which has been hard as a spouse of a doctor's because there's not a lot of people that can relate to you the common you know marital problems or issues. I don't, it's hard to, it's hard to explain it to someone else. You know, it's like, they don't, it's an, Oh, I just did it or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, I wish it was that easy. And so it's, it's hard to navigate. It's been hard to navigate that because there's not a lot of people to relate to personally, like there's Facebook groups Mm -hmm. and and all that stuff, which I joined. And then I was like, okay, there's a lot of other people going through the same stuff. Um, but yeah, it takes for sure. It takes a toll, I think for sure on, on, on a marriage and a family, but I just think obviously with maturity and then just kind of reassessing things over time and being like, is this how I want my life to be? Is this what I want? Which I think he, I don't know, mm-hmm. I speak for you. He's done a lot of that more so in the past, like, Probably, probably three years more so now that he's more out of training and like yeah. doing the job and being like, all right, now that I'm done training, now that I'm done being abused, <laughs> completely <Yeah>. abused, <laughs> um, right. like, what is it that I, what do I want yeah. to make my life like? Like, I have more say now, I have more power now, like, sort of, but you know, like it just comes to a point where you're like, I think I'm done with that. And I mean, I'm done with that too. I'm done watching him go through that. And yeah. So there's been a so lot I'm, of ink for in the past. Three I'm going to jump the gun on another question that which I had <laughs> later, which I don't. So Sean, you're a rock climber. And we actually had this conversation a couple of days ago. Let's say you lost the use of your hands. No, but who are you? So this is this is a big thing that we find with public safety and why there are a lot mm. of suicides in public safety after retirement. Mm. Their job is their complete identity and their complete purpose. And when that's been taken from them, they don't know who they are. Mm. So let's pretend for a second, you tomorrow you've lost your job. You cannot be a surgeon. You cannot be a doctor. Who's Sean Diamond? And that's really, yeah. And I'm going to say, and that's really putting you on the if spot. If I still had my hands, I would just go back into ceramics at that point. Yeah. I'd like, okay, well, Sean's different. He's an artist. He's a rock climber, but let's say you're the normal person. <laughs> I'd be okay. I mean, I love medicine. I think medicine has given me the opportunity to, um, 
make an impact on other people and in my community and really unique, awesome ways. If I lost medicine, I have a lot of other interests. I'm fortunate in that way. I think that's my own personal safety net. There's not, there are some physicians and you'll meet them who truly that's all they have. Like that's their identity. Yeah. That's their culture. That's their language. That's their job. That's their everything. And, um, um, I, I count myself fortunate that that's not me. So, we moved to Europe, live in a no. little cottage and. <laughs> Sounds great. I think you should but, quit tomorrow. Except I, that you're so I, good I, I love do. that though. <laughs> I really, really, I really, really love that though, because you have, you, you said it, you're, it's your own personal safety net and however you develop that uh, is critically important because you are more than and the FACS. And a lot of people lose sight of that. Is that they get attached to those, they get attached to the what they're doing in their communities or the the prestige that comes with it. I mean, fire sure, firefighters are one of the most trusted jobs in the world. I mean, surgeons are ranked right up there as well. I mean, that's hard to just that identity is hard to let go of unless you really do the work and really start to think about like I am more than. Mm that i'm more than a firefighter you are more than ndfacs like and i think that i think that's really really powerful and however i'm curious but i know we're getting to the end of the show but i want to tease on that thread a little bit like how do you think you developed that is it just because you had so many interests before moving into medicine or is it something that you like consciously no i think that's a lot of I had a lot of interests before moving into medicine and part of the heartbreak of medicine was how much I had to give up to do it and to become really good at it. I went to art school. I studied ceramics. I loved it. I worked in Paris doing it. I got to art school. I really missed it. And my sister, I'll never forget my sister just being like, look, you got to like, forget about it. Like you're now in medical school. You have to learn how to become a doctor. Like, to the best of your ability, not my, but to become like the best doctor to my own personal potential. And that's what I did. And that's what I did with surgery. And now I've totally, I haven't totally lost ceramics, um, but it certainly went way down the back burner. I always kept climbing. So in that way, I always knew, for example, climbing was my own safety net. I'm way happier if I go climbing and and um, that's like my form of yoga, my form of awareness, my form of body movement, yes. my body centering, my form of of like body gravity. I mean, many, many, mm-hmm. many spirituality of spirituality. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so in other words, I was very lucky to have that, and um, and I kept that through medicine. The periods of time where I don't climb, I get really burnt out and depressed and bummed. And then when I go back into including things like climbing in my life, I do a lot better and I'm happier. So I love this because I taught at a police academy and there were evaluations after, and there was one evaluation that said like, did you think yoga was great for law enforcement? Yes. Um, Will you recommend it to other officers? Yes. Can you see it applicable to the job? Yes. Blah, 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 blah. Yes, yes, yes. Will you continue to practice? No. Right? And yeah. So then I went to him when he was an officer and I was like, hey, what the hell? What's up with that evaluation? 
And he said, oh, it's because I'm a cyclist. And everything you taught in yoga, I do cycling. So yes, I checked all the boxes because I totally get what you do. I just happen to do it through cycling. So I always say too that I'm not actually promoting yoga. Yoga is what I know. What I'm promoting is awareness. I'm, you know, and and you, what you just said perfectly about rock climbing is exactly yoga. It's awareness. It's body mechanics. It's brain to body communication. It's spirituality. It's a mind. It's the ultimate mindfulness. Holy shit! I've seen documentaries on on climbing. I would never do it myself, but like <laughs> I've seen the documentaries, and I'm like, it's the ultimate mindfulness. I mean, Jesus, like, so yes, what you're doing is yoga. You've got your yoga and I would never force you on a yoga mat because if you told me what you already do to practice, I'd be like, you got it. Cause that's what I'm selling. Not the yoga itself, but the, what, what we're trying to get to through this practice of yoga and you've got it, you've got it through climbing. And so that's exactly it is that what I, what I also want to supply through teaching folks yoga is that it's their new sort of identity or anchor. And it's actually, Michelle, maybe you and I can kind of relate to this. Mm -hmm. We're both former dancers, performers on stage. That was our career. I left it before you left it, but we got married, had kids, you know, whatever. Who are we now? Right. And what I grabbed onto and why it was actually so easy for me to leave the stage world was my yoga practice. Mm -hmm. That was my anchor. And so that's another reason why I'd like to teach this skill to um, public safety, to military, to medical providers is this is, can also be your identity. And if you lose medicine, if you lose the truck, you know, Eric sees, I watch him, he sees a fire truck roll by with lights and sirens and I see him melt. He misses being on the truck. So you can, you can go to the yoga mat. That is your anchor. And because yoga is mindfulness and is breath, you don't need hands. You don't need legs. I taught yoga in the VA for veterans without arms and legs. So it's just about who you are. It's not about this outside physical thing. And something mm -hmm. that's always with you. You don't need a yoga mat. You don't need any of that shit. It is always with you. So that's another thing. It's another purpose. And the purpose is your self-actualization. That's what yoga is. And if we can give that little nugget to everyone, it doesn't matter if you lose your profession, you've still got yourself. Um, and so that's, an, that's another, you know, big point of what we're doing one thing I want to point out too, something real quick. It's so yeah, interesting, that you're saying, you know, all this. And because, you know, I don't have a career right now, but it's so interesting hearing you say all this because I relate all of that to being a mom. Mm -hmm. All of that, like the practice, the, the presence, the, you know, trying to regulate your nervous system, like. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, we've talked about this before, but it's so, and it's just so cool because I did yoga because I studied it and I, it's just so interesting how I really feel like having done that has helped me 
navigate motherhood. Oh my God, Michelle, I feel like my whole reason I ever practiced yoga was to be a parent. To be a mom. Yeah. Like even today, like when you were in the room with Monse, that's her third baby who's with, who's on <laughs> our show right now. There's not um, I'm holding my baby, your two older babies are running around. I'm working with one hand. Eric is on a call, like Sean's on his phone working, like around his computer and stuff. And just, and I was thinking to myself, wow, like because of my practice, I'm able to stay centered and observe the chaos around me. Where if I didn't have that practice, I could definitely see myself flipping out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's okay if you do flip out. That of happens. We're human. Course. I'm just saying. But I to even flip have out the awareness. Like, yeah. To have even the awareness to, to, when you do flip out, to be like, okay, I flipped out. And I flipped out, why did yeah. that happen? What happened? Like where in all that, or what do I need to do for myself maybe so that I don't flip out or, you know. To, to yeah. be able to ask those questions even is to have awareness. It is awareness. And that's all we're teaching. That's yeah. all yoga is guys is, you know, is awareness, but you're absolutely right that like we, I can definitely see it and how you, you're, you notice a trigger with, and there's, we always talk about that Victor Frankl quote that we're creating space between the stimulus and the response you know, and that, and that's all we're trying to do. And, and all yoga is our, our techniques to try to get you there. Um, okay. So, um, Sean, couple questions about, cause, cause what we say we do is the skill set that we're building in YFFR is how to process stress, build resilience and enhance performance. How do you see performance being enhanced? So for example, body mechanics you're pro are, are you leaning over what's going on literally the physical body in what you do oh yeah you guys can come into my operating room it's terrible i have terrible body mechanics. <laughs> i'm leaning over my knees are dying um i do long operations that are tedious and so I'll stand in positions for a long period of time, very focused on what I'm doing, not realizing that my LCL and my knee is just fucking getting ripped to shreds. And so I'll leave an operating room and not be able to do a squat because my knees are hurting. So bad. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's the physical part. Yeah. So when we talk about wellness a lot, it's a lot mental, emotional, blah, 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 rainbows, butterflies. But I'm also talking about the literal ability to stand and do your job, right? You know, stress is like stress hormones stay. If you don't process them out, they stay, they stay there. You have high levels of cortisol. And that embeds into the tissues and the tissues start, the fascia starts to, you know, tighten up. All this stuff starts to happen and you start hurting. So, um, you know, I always say that we're not teaching flexibility, but what we are teaching is how to process stress hormones, which then allows your body to be able to have functional movements. So um, that's something else that I want to learn as we develop Yoga Shield RX is, you know, what are the common areas of, pain and stiffness that we can start to process stress and give you more mobility. 
So that's something we're looking into as well. Hey, um, difficult patients. How's that on, on your nervous system? Um, it's a challenge. So, yeah. <laughs> I was say the, benefit that he, the benefit they get is the anesthesiologist takes care of that. <laughs> Oh my God, um, I love a good anesthesia. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm no, kidding. I love it. Like, oh my God, Eric, do you remember I was, I had a surgery and I had an anesthesiologist. Why are they always like 25 and hot? I don't know why, but they always are. <laughs> that must and be so, after the Versed's been given. No, it's, I swear it's before. Maybe I was given the hot ones. But he came in, he was like, his his scrubs were like about to burst at the seams, you know, with his arms. Comes in and he, you know, and it was Valentine's Day that I was getting this surgery. And he starts to give me the good stuff, right? And I say to him, his name was Austin. And I was like, Austin, are we on a date right now? And then I passed out. <laughs> difficult patients. Um I think it just depends what emotion I attach to them. For example, I recently had a difficult patient who happened to be the only patient out of the last 2000 who consistently would eat before their surgery. So for you can't, <laughs> as you all know, you need to be NPO, meaning nothing per mouth before surgery to make anesthesia safe. So you don't vomit into your breathing tube or into your windpipe. Correct. This patient in particular decided that they would eat McDonald's. So we had to <gasps> surgery. Then they were rolled the next day they're rolled into the preoperative unit and the preoperative nurse just catches them eating candy in the pre-op holding area, like where you're going to be oh going to surgery from. And this patient <laughs> had to have a bad infection, needed an operation, had been told this multiple times. And to me, I have several choices. I could say, well, you know what? It's an emergency. And if they aspirate, and many of your first responders know, if they have their McDonald's chicken sandwich in their stomach and they get intubated and a bunch of chicken nuggets end up in their trachea and they aspirate and get aspiration <laughs> pneumonia, then so be it. I called it an emergency. I saved their hand, but they died in the ICU of aspiration. Save their hands. But so I'm not going to call it an emergency. It's a bad infection that needs to get taken care of. Counsel the patient who has capacity, meaning like they know their name, they know where they are, they can recite the procedure you're doing to them, et cetera. And so in that circumstance, I could either say like, start getting really mad and be like, I wasted all my time, you know, all this. In reality, I'm just like, you know what, whatever, <laughs> like, whatever, you know, I can't mm -hmm. control everybody and everything. And I've put a lot of effort into rescheduling this person. I've rearranged my clinic. I've rearranged a lot of other people because of this single person. I've affected many other people because I canceled or moved many clinic appointments for them. And I can either get really mad or I could say, you know what, sort of like three strikes, you're out. You're going to get your procedure now <laughs> under local anesthesia. And we're going to drain your hand infection with you wide awake. And you can scream as much as you want. But since you've oh. broken the rules, this is what's going to happen. 
Um, hey, oh my gosh. Okay, I had a question about that. Um, oh my god, I lost it. I've had too much whiskey. I had three, I had three no. things I wanted to mention. Oh no. Okay, Eric, you go and I'll think of it. Well, I was actually gonna take a put a capstone on it and Okay, so okay. So then thought back real quick. Okay, so here's what I wanted to say. One thing I wanted to mention is what interestingly enough, both of you, both of your fathers were in the profession before you. Isn't that interesting? So your dad was a doctor, Sean. Your dad was a firefighter, Eric. So isn't that interesting how it kind of and and so this is just I'm just noting all these you know, similarities with public safety. And here was another similarity. Here's what I was going to say before. Dark humor. It's huge in public safety. It's a survival thing. Sean, how much dark humor is there behind the scenes? All day, every day. Okay, great. Because we use a lot of it in YFFR, so I want to make sure we can carry that over. Our constructive irreverence. Great. Okay. And my last question here is about, um, you know, you were just talking about moving things around and, you know, the load that you have, you're on vacation right now. You're taking a week. Is it a week off or more? Yeah. A week. week. Are you thinking about what you're coming back to? Um, that's it's it's harder to leave for vacation than to just keep trucking it actually takes a tremendous amount of work to um either delay surgeries move surgeries uh, move clinic appointments move up move down etc so um a lot of that's already been handled ahead of time so i work really hard before the vacation to try and protect the time with my family and vacation as much as i can And then there's so much of the workplace that can happen um, online for better or for worse that like continuously through this week, I can answer texts, emails, do surgical orders. And I don't know what to think of that. It's sort of like, I don't get a vacation, but there's a lot of people who don't like Um, it's really hard to like, just totally ignore everything and be totally off the grid, which the only chance of that is like, if I was backpacking way back in the back country and I truly just had no phone and no internet and let's face it, if I died tomorrow and hopefully I don't, the world would go on. And so would all the lives of my patients. Um, but there are things that I can make easier if I do like some 10 or 15 minutes of work each day I'm on vacation, which I've kind of done. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And that is something with like firefighters. I've talked to Eric a lot about, um, since he's transitioned to a new career is that as a firefighter, he was there for work for his tour and then out and you don't have to think about it. He's, he's not getting, calls and emails like you are. I mean, was it different as a company officer, Eric, or when were you off, you were off? Yeah, I mean, you carry the job with you. Um, I really tried to, to the best of my ability, live a one or a zero life, especially when I was on the fire department, but you find ways to be involved outside of it. I mean, whether and I think there's a lot of... Or- yeah, I think there's a lot of physicians who truly can be off 
when they're off. Um, and it's very service dependent, meaning like, yeah, but a surgeon, it's hard to be totally off because there's so many things that are constantly kind of coming up depending what resources you have beneath you. And for me, I, I, um, don't currently have someone like a physician assistant that could be handling much of this load and keeping it away from me while I'm on vacation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the phone always rings, right? Like even if you're off duty, the phone always rings. I mean, it always, how how do you get a physician's uh, assistant? um, Can I have one? I want a physician's assistant just for me. Exactly. Exactly. And that's part of my own personal burnout and frustration is, is doing, Oh, you know, a load of work that, that could be given to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of work, um, can you call in my mom's prescription? Yeah. Okay. Like do it right now. Okay. He's also my mom's doctor. Um, and I, I will just say, I wanted to say real quick, cause I meant to start with this. We just got into it right away. I know these amazing people, my bestest friends, um, Michelle, I've known for a good, like 12 to 15 years. I, I'd have to go back and do the math. We're both performers. We have a mutual friend that we're three best friends that anyone ever had together. And um, I've, you know, was at your wedding. I've seen all your babies be born. I've taken care of your babies. And I've just known you guys personally for a long time. It just so happens that what I do and what you do are coinciding, which is really, really cool. And you were on the original board of directors of yoga for first responders when I needed a board to make a 501c3. And so I asked my bestest friends and don't be surprised if I asked you to be on the board again, which might be happening very soon, but, um, thank you. And thank you for inviting us on your family vacation with you. Thank you guys. I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for your future in medicine. There's a huge need and, um, just keep cracking down doors as you've done with every police and fire station across this country. Um, it'll happen. Thank you. Were you going to end this, Eric? I feel like you had a good ending and I interrupted you. I was just going to say, Sean, it's been fantastic. I think this episode has proven beyond a doubt that there is overlap between public safety and the medical professional world, which gives me even more excitement as we launch into Yoga Shield RX. So uh, thank you. for giving us the opportunity to ask some very personal questions and being vulnerable and open to share them with our audience. So absolutely appreciate it. Thank you. And please thank your lovely wife who's attending to your baby. Well, thank you guys. <laughs> All right. I'll see you. In, I'll see you in five minutes when I come over to pour you more whiskey. <laughs> Sweet. Done. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Hey, before we go, I want to remind you that training your mental and physical health is incredibly important, especially for those working in high-stress jobs like first responders. And if you're interested in learning more about Yoga for First Responders, visit yogaforfirstresponders.org for our on-demand training app, online course platform, in-person training, and more. 
like this podcast, subscribe, and give us a great review. We are so happy to have you part of the YFFR mission.